Hello and welcome to a new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes and I'm sitting here not next to my good friend, Tim Elliott. Hello. And we're here to talk about all things John Byrne. Today's a very special episode as we finish our uh, final two issues of the OMAC series that John Byrne did in 1991. And Tim is going to give us uh, a good uh, set of synopses on both these since I did them last time. But before we jump into that, um, Tim, I, I mean, I haven't seen or heard any any more news or any updates on the news about uh, John Byrne over the last couple of weeks. And he's been very, you know, not vocal about uh, like the Fantastic Four movie or anything that's going on. So have you heard anything at all? I haven't. Uh, I haven't really been looking, but I haven't heard anything specifically from him. I've heard some other things about the Fantastic Four movie. Uh, and you yeah, might yeah. listen to our uh, special podcast we did on uh, the Fantastic Four to uh, see our thoughts or hear our thoughts on the movie. But it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't look good. Yeah, it doesn't look good, and the reviews don't look good, and and just everything about it. It stinks. <laughs> and uh, now, now we're going to go ahead and take a bullet. Uh, this weekend, Tim and I, we're going to take our families and go see the Fantastic Four. We just got to pick a theater to do it at. Um, that's still on, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay, good. And, uh, so we'll take the bullet and, and see what it, see what it's all about and maybe do a five minute freak afterwards. Uh, but you know, beware our wives may actually be a part of that five minute freak. So that should be interesting. That'd be fine. Well, it, it'll be the contrast of the geeks and the man on the street. I'd never call my wife the man on the street. <laughs> the woman on the street. A, she has a samurai sword. Oh, oh, oh really? Yeah. And what's she's the story behind that? Well, she's got a practical shrine in our house to the walking dead. Ah, and she's a huge Michonne fan. So, uh, for one of our deals, I forget what it was. I, no, it was our anniversary. Yeah. I, I actually got her a samurai sword named Zombie Hunter and she just loves it. So when the apocalypse hits, you're covered. Yeah, definitely. I'm covered. <laughs> anyway, I guess moving on. Uh, now we found some discrepancy about when this book actually came out. If I remember, I, I thought that uh, based on the chronology we had, I thought it was out in February and March of 91. But you were saying you read, read on Mike's Amazing World differently. That's correct. I have, for issue three, actual sale date November 19, 19th, 91. And for uh, issue four, it's December 17th, 91, with uh, both with cover dates of 92. So, wow. That, you know, that's a big difference. It doesn't really matter. Unless somebody is really keeping score for that, but um, well, everything on the book says ninety-one. Yeah, it's all listed as ninety-one. Yeah, and if you look at the indicia inside the front cover, it's got that as well. So, I'm I'm not sure about that. If anybody out there knows what what, what that is, um, we really like really would like to know because we we always want to put out exactly what he's doing each month when he's working. So you get kind of an idea of just how busy the man was. Yeah. And, you know, this is a, a, a time in his career. He's at the top of his game. He's writing, he's doing art, he's doing every bit on, on some things where he's even doing the lettering uh, or, or putting in the lettering, I should say, because he's not actually 
writing the letters himself. He's using a, a pool of letters that he's collected from uh, a letter that he had a lot of respect for. And, right. uh, you know, and some things he did just the inking. I mean, he was, he was very, very busy at that point. So, uh, yeah, you'll I get, guess, on, when I get into what he else, he was doing, uh, this month, you'll see that he kind of did a wide variety of. Yeah. And, uh, as we'd said on the, uh, our, our la- I, I'm not sure if it was our last show, if it was the fantastic four that it is our last show. Um, he will be appearing at the star Trek 50th anniversary convention. The creation con is supposed to be in Las Vegas. Uh, but they haven't, you know, announced everything about that. Once they do, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll be sure to, to include that here and, and, and uh, put it on our Facebook page yeah, as keep well. Keep everybody kind of keep you and, uh, formed. And any other news that comes up with Mr. Byrne, it's, uh, not always, um, there's not always well, we, something we, happening all the time. <laughs> well, there, there's some things we're going to, you know, shy away from. Like, we're not going to go into the details of his argument with Dan Slott. Uh, that went on on the on the Burn Robotics page, um, talking about the state of affairs at Marvel right now. I mean, because a lot of that gets into the the egos and the ideals and such. And we're definitely not here to to argue the merits of uh, of whether he's right or wrong in any of the situations where he's been, you know, vocal about. Right. We're uh, here. We're here to celebrate his artistic output. Yes. Yes. But sometimes, you know, things do cross. Uh, I'll, I'll point at the what the issues as as a good example, uh, and you know we, we will cover that at some point because it does bear covering, but uh, it won't be anytime soon because we've got a lot of things that we want to cover in the you know in in the immediate uh, future and and there's just such a you know rich history forty years worth of history there. There's there is a lot to cover uh, yeah. in his. Uh Category or catalog of work, yeah. And um, anyway, I guess we should go ahead and get into it. So, if right. Tim, you want to take it away? I will. I will take it away with issue three. This is OMAC, stands for One Man Army Corps. Issue three, published by published by DC. Uh, as said before, cover date of ninety two. It was on sale according to our research, November nineteenth, ninety one. Covered price of three dollars ninety five cents. Has forty eight pages. Uh, John Byrne is the artist, inker, letterer, uh, everything. The editor is Jonathan Peterson. Now, at the same time he put this book out, he also wrote Iron Man number two seven six. He also wrote and drew Namor the Submariner number twelve. He put out. In Dark from Dark Horse, uh, John Burns twenty one twelve as a graphic novel. Uh, he also put out Sensational She Hulk number thirty five as writer artist, and Uncanny X Men two eighty four. He was a scripter, and that is a lot considering he also put this book out. Considering it's almost fifty pages. Wow. But our, John Byrne is, by his own admission, he's a quick artist. He he can draw very fast. Yeah. All right. Synopsis goes. For issue number three. The issue opens with Brother Eye emerging from the time stream and into the past. The satellite has arrived ten years later than Buddy Blank and immediately tries to scan for Omak. Brother Eye finds Buddy Blank and transforms him into Omak, killing Bigelow's man as seen in last issue. Omak has no memory of his life as Buddy Blank and doesn't recognize his wife Molly. In Omak's mind, he has just arrived and resumes his mission to find Mr. Big. 
Brother I suggest he lay low and not let the natives get a close look at him, and as Omek leaves the dock, he misses Bigelow, who is hiding in his car. Brother Eye reconfigures Omek's appearance to blend in with the time period, and as Omek, as, as Omek rents a room in a rundown hotel, he uses a base of operations. Brother Eye crunches the numbers to determine how Mr. Big might have altered the timeline. Back at his penthouse, Bigelow is desperate to find Omak before he interrupts his plans to remake the world in his image. One of his henchmen suggests they abduct Molly, Buddy Blank's wife, because she was at the dock when Buddy changed into Omak and she might know how to find him. Molly has been taken to the hospital and is sedated because she was in shock after she witnessed Buddy's transformation. She wants to find Buddy as well. She wants to go search for him when Bigelow's men arrive and they kidnap her. Back at the flop house, Josie, a prostitute, approaches Omak and asks him if he wants company, and when she, he agrees, she is shocked to find he only wants to talk. He is unfamiliar with this time period and asks her, asks her to tell him her story. At the same time, Bigelow and his men are questioning Molly with their fists. They are convinced she is working with Omak because her father, a, a police officer, was snooping around Bigelow's operation. See issue 2. At Omak's hotel room, he continues to question Josie about her life and what keeps her going when times are so hard. Brother Eye interrupts with information about the changed timeline. Brother Eye reveals that Bigelow has been influenced, influencing world events by secretly, secretly supporting Adolf Hitler. And if Omak is to set the timeline straight, he must kill Hitler. Brother Eye converts an abandoned car into a transport and Omak takes off for Germany. Bigelow continues to torture Molly, but now with the help of a very creepy little man. Finally realizes that Molly knows nothing of Omak's plan and decides to tell her his story and why he traveled back in time to escape defeat by Omak. He tells Molly who and what Omak is and what the future they came from was like. Omak arrives in Germany and is attacked by the German Air Force. Omak jumps from his transport and takes out several planes before crashing to the earth near Hitler's private retreat. Inside the retreat, Hitler is drinking schnapps with Eva Braun as she takes a bath. He assures her the war will soon be over and they can marry. They hear a noise outside and Hitler sees Omak single-handedly destroying his personal guard. Some might say like a one-man army corps. Omak bursts into the room and grabs Hitler and is about to kill him when Eva, Eva shoots Omak in the head. Omak has Brother Eye re uh, repairs damage and reconstructs him, and in the energy transference, Hitler is burned to death. Omak escapes to his transport and flies away. Brother Eye tells him the timeline is fixed and that he has and that he has Buddy Blank's memories from the past. Omak asks Brother Eye to give him his old memories as Buddy. Omak learns he has lived in the past for 10 years before Brother Eye arrived and he was married to Molly. He needs to find her desperately and make sure she's safe. Our issue ends with Bigelow's men taking Molly away to be killed because she knows nothing of Omak's whereabouts. The end. That was jam-packed. That was jam-packed. It was a little dry, maybe, but... You know, it's funny. On the rereading of this, when I looked at that very first page and you see Brother Eye coming in there, for some reason it made me think of the One Ring from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it The satellite does look like a, look like a created, ring. It created within me this weird imagery because, you know, in, in DC lore, the beginning of the universe has that hand coming out of the celestial body, right? And yeah. so I, I see that hand under the ring like Frodo's hand. So I imagine Frodo's creating the universe now. Uh, <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Sorry. That's just messed up imagery there for me. But, uh, you know, that's that's a, a pretty cool thing. And, you know, looking at you know, these first three pages, the one thing I'm I'm surprised with is – the burn tech in this doesn't look like regular burn tech. 
especially you know inside the spaceship. It you're right. I didn't realize that till right now. I'm looking at it. It it doesn't look. It looks. It's not as angular. Well, and, there's that, but you know the thing is when you look at Burn Tech in say the X Men or Fantastic Four, he's got all this stuff all over the place and all these weird monitors and stuff. And now I even saw this in Superman, like Lex Luthor's facilities and whatnot, where there was all this tech all over the place, and you're looking like, why do they need all that? Don't they just need a computer to control all that? And then you know they they've got just all this weird tech everywhere. Here, everything looks like it's part of some sort of functionality. It doesn't have anything that, that seems out of place or, or whatever, because it's all stuff that we don't recognize it for what it is. Right. You but know? it does have, and I've got this in my notes, why, and this is a sci-fi trope, why does the inside of the satellite, which appears to be unmanned, it appears mm-hmm. to be an unmanned, you know, a, a sentient, well, near-sentient satellite, it doesn't seem to be need to have occupants. But if you look at the inside, it looks like it's designed for some type of humanoid because why would it have a screen? The brother eye doesn't need to see a screen. It's it just it has, it's all electronics, all internal. But I, I see that as a sense of storytelling. It, you know, he wants to give us a sense of what uh, brother eye is doing. And he can't just show us, well, it's all done internally in his computer bank, so you're not actually going to see all these screens and all this this uh, hardware that that looks like a human would be inside if they were piloting the the uh, satellite. Yeah, I, I and I don't remember the original OMAX series well enough to say that that we ever got this look inside a brother eye like that either. From the from the flipping through I've done and the, I started reading, the, I read the first issue. Uh, you never see the inside that I can tell a brother eye. You just see the external satellite. Yeah, but it's yeah. just it's just uh, you know it's uh, shorthand storytelling. It's it's visual yeah. short shorthand is what I'm trying to say that lets you know what brother eye is doing. Otherwise, it would just be all dialogue. So this is what I'm doing. So this way, visually, you can kind of see what he's... he's. Uh, yeah. Now, this next page, of course, his wife recognizing him and calling him Buddy or questioning whether he's Buddy, but she know that he is and she she knows that he is because he's talked about his dreams enough over the years that she would have, you know, recognized that that's what he was talking about, I'd have to say. Yeah, probably she's just in shock. I mean, that's a pretty traumatic thing to see. One, you've got a charred body that he's still yeah. holding by the neck. And One thing I did notice, though, you know, he he, he chars that guy completely, right? To sit there and char a human body takes a lot of temperature for a long time, but the 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 dock itself doesn't get singed at all. Yeah, well, that's yeah. He might have burned his way through that dock into the into the uh, water, wouldn't he? Yeah. Well, it's interesting if you see the way Burn has drawn the charred body that it's not completely not, this part right, of his right. lower it's body. Just, uh, yeah, it's a, it's just the front of him that that was exposed to Omac. While he was doing it, and I see it goes down part of the way, and then it just stops. Yeah, and we'll say this: this is a the, this costume. I've never seen anybody cosplay as this, and this would be an easy costume to pull off if you've got the body for it. Yeah, good muscle shirt, utility yeah. belt, a fake mohawk, some form or, of jack boots without the buckles showing. Yeah, and I, the hardest thing would be yeah, how to but do the know, mohawk. Someone was gonna do. Someone's gonna. Have you ever seen anybody do gladiator? No in cosplay. No, so I'd like to see that too. Yeah, that's that would be a cool. Yeah, because this. Well, it depends if you do the colors based on Kirby's original. This costume honestly looks better in black and white than Kirby's original coloring of it. But yeah, I, I have a thing about exposed arms, and in a regular comic book, when you see the pink of the exposed arms versus everything else, it always throws me off and seems a little wife beaterish, you know. Well, but this, since it's done in black and white here, you don't get that effect. Right. But it's it's kind of a and I'll bring it up later in issue four about what how he his parents changes later. Yeah. 
Yeah. But moving on, I, I did like the the way he showed Omak going by the car, not realizing that uh, Bigelow was Bigelow's there. in it. Yeah, that's a nice uh, Bigelow. He looks. He looks. I can't tell if he looks terrified. If he looks. Oh yeah, he he's definitely scared. He almost looks orgasmic. I mean, it's. it's, it's yeah, he's definitely got the O mouth going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. You notice. And, and this is one complaint that I have, you know, Byrne seems to have a thing for horse riding pants. Oh, the, uh, whatever yeah. those. Yeah. The outfit that he transforms Omek into to fit in. Uh, and I remember he had them on a character that, that was in the Wonder Woman books. And I'm sure he had them on, on some other stuff, uh, when he was doing the, um, 1776 stuff in, uh, action comics. He did, I, I think it was yeah. an annual. And it just seemed like every other person was wearing those kind of pants. Now I can understand that back then, but you know, even in the 1920s, that just looks not right. You know, it, I well, I I have to say I really I am really digging this his outfit. It's very very pulpy, very Doc Savage. Well, and I was thinking Blade Runner the, with the coat. The coat reminds me of Deckard's coat in Blade Runner, except he doesn't have the strap, and it's not quite long enough. But yeah, yeah, but but. Well, he, and, I think with this with this particular costume or outfit, Byrne seems to have some trouble drawing it from time to time. If you look when he's checking into the hotel, it looks like his right leg is – he had some trouble drawing it there. And the way it goes up to his, for lack of a better word, crack. Yeah. Uh, it, it just looks cartoony. Yeah, his, his crotch does look – his inseam looks a little off, doesn't it? Yeah. And the way his leg just – it's not a straight line. It's a slightly curved line, but it's – Really, really weird. Um, that's bizarre, but it, uh, there's some there's some of that that goes throughout the entire book while he's wearing this particular outfit. It was like he had a little bit more trouble with it than than he did uh, other things. Well, it's it's interesting that considering what he's fixing to go do in Germany, he looks like a Nazi in this outfit. Yes. And I don't know if that's a that's Burns' idea that he kind of looks like a uh, a jackbooted Nazi himself. But well, he looks like. You know, Superman's been taking, you know, growth hormones or something or steroids. Yeah. You know, his 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 vision of him, you know, when, when you see the profile, you can see his Superman there. When you see him straight on, it's a, a, almost like a cross between Superman and Captain Marvel, you know, Shazam. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, the hair is definitely, yeah, the profile is def- definitely very similar. That's definitely, a, I mean, you kind of see him when he's going by Bigelow's car. Yeah. That's very, that's, that's a typical burn profile. Yeah, it's but it, it's it's like a it's like you know the difference between Burns Steve Rogers and Burns John Walker, you know the the U.S. agent. Yeah, if you ever saw the two of them side by side, you could see that the John Walker is basically like an expanded or blow, puffed up version of uh, Steve Rogers. Yeah, but as somebody pointed out, and uh, I can't remember the podcast. I, I want to say maybe it was something on Paul Spataro said on. Something I've listened to recently, I can't remember that that all all his faces look alike. Well, how many ways can you draw a lantern jaw hero? So they're all yeah. are, they're all going to be similar. You can't help yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it it goes to how he does the hair because the hair does play a big big uh, part in it. I remember in Generations, one of the Generations book, he did Boston Brand, you know, Dead Man. Yeah. But the Boston Brand version of it was basically. Superman with even thicker version of the same kind of hair. And I could see there was some differentiation there, but just not enough that I was, you know, that, that I was like, okay. And I mean, a lot of people made the comments about his Bruce Wayne in legends. That is Bruce Wayne looked like Clark Kent, you know? 
And that's, I, guess, I think, if yeah, if you if you had him draw uh, Steve Rogers, Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent, Omac, there there's going to be a, a tremendous amount of similarity between them. But again, it's it's like telling somebody, "We'll draw a circle." Well, circles all kind of look alike. Yeah, no, draw, no, I, draw a box. Get, they all kind of look alike. I get you there. Because when you look at these other characters, he's got Bigelow and and uh, the Bigelow's assistants and. His torture guy and everything—you definitely see some variation. On They're the, all on very the, distinct, right? It's, yeah, it's, they are. This they guy are. that this guy that he's gonna that at the hotel, which is this is very Terminator-like. I, when I read this, I I kept thinking of the scene when Michael Bean comes up with just a handful of money when they're checking into the Tiki Motel. <laughs> yeah, and he goes, "Will this be enough?" He's like, "Yeah, I don't yeah. want to ask you where you got it." For some reason, I was thinking of Big, you know, with Tom Hanks checking into the CD as the kid checking into the CD hotel. Oh, I haven't I haven't seen Big and so long I can't and, that's that, and then this guy that's at the hotel desk reminds me a little bit of the of the hotel desk teller from uh, Highlander when the Kurgan checks in oh yeah <laughs> just waiting to hear him go and you shut it <laughs> I thought the I kind of understand his need to because in Omex in his mind he's just arrived and yeah. suddenly he has to uh, assimilate where he has to assimilate and he has to start his mission basically he's to find Mr. Big, it's, he's that focused. You know, that's all he does. That's all he does. But uh, <laughs> I, the scene. Well, we won't get there yet. But when he get when he, you know, he basically sees this really sad looking, I guess, another prostitute just sitting in the doorway as he yeah. walks in, and it's it seems more of a social commentary about look how terrible life was during the depression. Yeah, yeah. Give that girl a sandwich. She needs uh, something. Yeah, I can't tell if she's. She's supposed to have a cigarette in her mouth. It looks like she's got a lollipop in her mouth. Yeah, true, true. Yep. And I was looking at, at his wife here, Molly, uh, when, the, when the cops go to see her. And um, she looks so gaunt, almost sickly, you know? She does. Yeah, she looks... Yeah, it really captured that well. And then, of course, the bad guys come. And I'm assuming they, 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 he, they killed all the cops, right? I assume. Yeah, I assume that you just you assume that. He, and I will say this: he burned does a great job. He's always done a great job, but period, uh, especially with the wardrobe. He's yes. one of the few artists that really seems to pay attention to what is trending or what is historically accurate. And even yeah. the the little pencil mustache he's got. He's, this guy that has its very thirties kind of mustache, and the same with the the guy that well, same guy that that shows up at the door to to pick up Molly when they when they go to kidnap her. Yeah, with the riding cap. Yeah, now look at the, the the top panel on the next page. If you look over to the right, you'll see the subways coming by, and you see the sparks, sparks. coming off the rail. I did notice that. That's and, great. And uh, yeah, just just all that, and the the right shadowing right across the building, and you can even see the shadowing from the fire escape. That's just it's just all very well thought out, and, it, and just beautiful placement of that. It's a very noir. Yeah. Yes. And then of course uh, where the the hooker comes in, and she's talking to him and oh <laughs> she makes me think of Maya Rudolph but a, very, a much darker Maya Rudolph yeah. I I'll confess I wasn't thrilled well, that's not the right word I was a little confused about her uh, her placement in the book why I think she's there so that Omak one has she's kind of a, a like a cipher she's there so that he can learn about the past so she's that's her plot you know she's a plot device yeah but she's also there as a kind of a commentary on i guess society and, and again going back to how hard things are because he 
specifically questions her about well which i thought was odd that he says well, why don't why don't why, how come you're not killing yourself you know yeah. life is terrible it's very hard you're obviously don't have much prospects why do you not just end it and that she's there to say well you know what's i never know something better may come along you, know, you got to keep fighting and it's this scene maybe there seems to me he's it's there to try to humanize omac a little bit that he's slowly kind of starting to something he didn't seem to pick up in issue one when he was living uh, with the uh, that village. Well, as you a know, protector. I, I think he was starting to pick it up because when he first comes across Mister Big in the first book, he has that hesitation, and I, I you know, I, it's it's like he's losing his taste for the battle, and the only reason why he continues to battle is because he sees an end game. Well, see, I I see that scene in the first issue of his hesitation more of, well, once I kill Mr. Big, what do I do? That's, that's my, my entire drive, my entire focus for 20 years. That's what I do. So once he's gone, where does that leave? You know, what, what is Omax place in the world? Once he has no longer has a mission or a purpose, I see that more of that instead of him becoming more humanized. Human. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. So there's that scene where he's sitting on the bed next to her and it's the page just before brother i starts talking to him and in the first panel his whole body just looks woogly i don't know how to describe it other than that it's it's because of the the costume that he's wearing it burn has a hard time making it look right it just it it it's almost like he needed to change the lighting in the room so that you could see the folds of the cloth because just by doing it, the black, the straight black, and you know every, everything in the black fading into black, it uh, hurts the effect. Yeah, that's it's that that's I would think that's the problem when you're gonna do a solid black shape like that. Oh, you know what? I bet you what it is 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 that this is what suffered as a result of him having to prep this with the possibility of it being colored, colorized. That could be a side effect of that. Yeah, and so he didn't get to use the the duo shade on there the way he wanted, and so instead he made it a flat black field, flat yeah. black field. Yeah, normally you would you would think you would what I would do if I was drawing it. You would have little white lines that wouldn't necessarily re- represent a highlight or anything, but it was yeah. just it would suggest line. You can just do a little bit with a little white, like a, cr- a crease or a crinkle or something that just hints at. Where some you know your eye will it's called implied line your eye will follow it and fill right, in the rest of the like gap you, like you did with the boots just below just right there I mean you yeah can see where the boots start and he's got the odd lines on those and that's you know what's what's expected just you know it's weird and then the way he's got his fist that's like that's awkward in, yeah into his leg there and yeah and that's really really awkward it's just it's a very awkward shot and I can understand the things that went into it. Um, but it, it's just, I guess, a confluence of, of too many factors that, that, that cause it to look funny like that. But we're going to see more of that as, as this goes on. Yeah. But it's amazing the amount of detail he went into on, on this woman. It's almost like this is somebody he knew. It does. It, there's because, especially that scene, well, when you first see that close-up of her when she's when she says, uh, oh, uh, oh, honey, if all you want is conversation, our conversation is, you know, conversation is what you'll get. Yeah. That looks almost like he is referencing somebody he knows or a real person. Yeah. Because he went to a lot of effort to, to kind of pick up the shine on her face. Yeah. Now, this one moment here when, when Brother I starts talking to him and he makes that definitive effort to look straight up and start talking to Brother <laughs> I. That's... 
just a little odd. That's I, that's yeah. I guess he was just trying to make sure that she that she knew that he wasn't talking to her. Perhaps because he's not, he he hasn't done that before. He hasn't looked up right. Because I'm assuming he's just hearing a voice like someone you know like a voice in his head. Yeah, she didn't hear it. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean I know that the voices I hear in my head that are like that. I don't look up. Yeah, and, and the then voices of course, are telling me to do stuff. I don't look up. <laughs> And then, of course, you, you, she goes in, into the other apartment to see her friend, Kit. And, you know, she says, yeah, this guy comes dancing into my life and he's got all this money and everything. And then he starts talking to thin air, <laughs> you know, and he's crazy. And she goes, well, there's always that next corner. And she goes, yeah, that next corner. And, and, and that'll, that, play, that'll play into issue four. But did you buy this whole scene? I thought, not to be cruel, but you're a prostitute. You think you're going to meet Mr. Right as a prostitute? I don't know. It seemed a little cliche to me. Yeah, and that's the thing. It felt like a really, really cliche depression story, you know, that, that, you know, someone's always got hope and always got hope. And I'm sorry, if you're a prostitute in New York and in depression era, the last thing you're going to have is hope. Yeah. But I think she was supposed to represent something here for OMAC, and I think that's why he does what he does. It, it could be. That's what I think, like I said, it's, it's she's there to try to humanize OMAC. Yeah. These next few panels, though, of Omak talking to Brother Eye, you, you can see that in each panel he tried to differentiate the face just a little bit to show that he's talking, he's thinking, and all that. But I, I, I just kind of think it, it – I don't want to say it's lazy because he did differentiate each one of the panels. But it's its kind of boring the way he did that. And it, I see that again later in the book. Well, I just see that as that this is, again, a more exp- – uh, Exposition. Exposition. Yeah. For Brother I just telling him, basically filling in, well, this is what you have to do. I mean, it could have been, I think, lazier would have been, I've seen this, just take the, you draw the face once and just repeat it four times. Right. He did try to draw it four, and he's got a little, you know, he's moving his head, you know, he's got a more of a three-quarter profile at the bottom. Yeah, furrowed in the brow, and yeah. Yeah, so he's, you know, he's kind of thinking, he's got those gritted teeth, and he's, he's more, but that's... That's a, but you could really put a spit curl on him, and you've got Superman right there, don't you? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And then he goes out, and Brother Eye converts a car into a flying machine that drives off of some form of the cl- flux capacitor. <laughs> well, <I know> what <laughs> I- <laughs> well, it, it's what's he say? Uh, magnetic flux. Magnetic flux. To me, this sounded a lot like if you when you read Alpha Flight, the trick that uh, Guardian would do when he would somehow he could negate his inertia in relation to, in relation the, to the earth so suddenly the earth kept moving he didn't so suddenly right. it seemed like he just disappeared and he did that uh, I can't remember what issue he did it with um, he did it he did it in the um, when they did uh, the classic X-Men and they reprinted the story of, of Wolverine and, and X-Men fighting Guardian for the very first time they did that. At, they added that as a page in there, so it wasn't actually burned. That uh, it wasn't. That that showed that part. No, that was um, it was extra stuff. And I'm not. I don't remember if it was Kieran Dwyer or if it was someone else that came in and did that page because it basically they put an extra page in there with exposition. I could swear. I could it. swear he did it in Alpha Flight. Maybe it, my memory's cheating, but I could swear that. Uh, yeah, you know, you know of- it, it could have been. You know, I'm, and I'm going to have to look at that now because that's that's one of those things that, that's going to bug me and I won't be able to get to sleep unless <laughs> I know. That's some of that hard science that Byrne likes to sometimes he gets an idea or maybe he's read something and he thinks that's kind of a cool idea 
and he'll place it in his book. The other one I can think off the top of my head is the uh, Terminus issue of Fantastic Four, where he he shrinks him down or condenses his mass down so he kind of basically sinks to the center of the Earth. Mm-hmm. It's something. It's one of those where he he is he does the experiment in the beginning of the issue with a baseball, I think, and then that just happens to oh well, I had to be working on this. This works out fine for defeating this bad guy. So. Yeah. By the way, you're right. They did cover that in the Alpha Flight. Did they? I thought I remember yeah. seeing that. Maybe they did as a retroactive thing. They retconned that back and did the. It was after Guardian had died. Uh, they did a reprint issue of that story and then burned through that in there so he could justify the name of Vindicator. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I have a question about Brother Eye reconstructing this jalopy. If he has this power. Why has he never used it when Omak was fighting the corporate walkers? It seems that would make a pretty effective weapon if he could just rearrange our molecules. I could give you a no-prize answer that has something to do with the energy field around the corporate raiders since they're active machines as, as opposed to a 1920s jalopy that has no power or anything running on it. This is true. They could have you screens. Know. He's already, yes. you know, they, he talked about Mr. B- uh, Bigelow having, Mr. Big having screens that he couldn't penetrate so okay yeah, I'll, I'll accept yeah. that no prize I'll, okay i'll be expecting my no prize in the mail uh, i yeah, did yeah. like on this next page how they had something down on the floor there where they're when they're torturing molly yeah so as not to leave any blood or anything yeah he well he's he's he's, he's careful with his with his his craft did do you notice this guy looks just like tote from raiders i, I wasn't thinking of tote though i, I mean I, I was thinking uh peter laurie uh, the, Casablanca. It could be, yeah. I say it could be Peter Lorre, but first thing I saw, I said, I said this got to be, this has got to be the tote from, yeah. from Raiders because he looks like the same. Well, he's got almost like a fish-like appearance at the top of the next page. Well, he's got those those really thick kind of Cardassian lips and <laughs> <laughs> Botox. Yeah. Why is it that whenever John Byrne has somebody torture a woman, they always mess with the eyes? Maybe he has an eye thing. Yeah, because they did that to Lana Lang in Superman issue two when Lex Luthor was torturing her. Now, they didn't ruin her eye like they did Molly's here. Oops, spoiler. Uh, well, uh, I, don't, I, I can't tell if, if this interrogator is messing with her eye or if that's just from, obviously, the severe beating she took yeah. from his other less refined torturers who were just pounding away at her face. Well, if you look at in the very first panel, he has got some definitely odd tools there. And he's got one in his hand, very long, thin yeah. tool there. And, I mean, he doesn't give you any kind of close-up on it to really see what it is he has and what he's doing. He actually goes to great pains to make sure his hands are behind something. Right, you can never see. Right, you can yeah. never see what he's actually Except doing. Except that one long shot. Well, I do like the fact that there are some consequences to her beating. That yes. she does, you know, spoilers lose you know she loses the eye or use the eye yeah the use of the eye so that at least there's of course she is just a civilian most you know superheroes at least weird to understand have some type of heightened uh, ruggedness that they're they don't they're not gonna if you beat on spider-man you know he's not gonna necessarily take the same kind of damage that you or me would yeah but whenever i think about you know the average guy taking damage i always think of uh the i think it was like the last season of buffy the vampire slayer and the character Xander got his eye poked out oh. by, by Captain Mal, no less. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Um, Nathan Fillion. I, I don't remember if it was before or after Firefly, because I, I think Firefly was, was on 
same time Buffy was. I don't. I don't remember for I sure. Buffy but, had ended before Firefly started, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure they were they were actually running concurrently. Anyway, so he was on there, and yeah, he put his thumb right in Xander's eye, mm. and and took the eye out, and you know, it's like wow, that's you know, it's it's one of those permanent things, you know, you just don't see normally. Yeah. Well, the eyes Unless, are always a real sensitive. I mean, yeah. that's that's you, you know, you don't want to see stuff with people's eyes. Yeah. And Ouch. I I'll admit I have never watched any. Buffy. Never oh. seen episode one. It's, I, I find it to be an enjoyable show in a comic book sort of way. I've heard good things. I know uh, Andrew uh, Andy Leyland has done some stuff on. He's a fan. And yeah. I, what I hear repeatedly is that the first, what, four seasons are good or that the later seasons are not as aren't as good as the first. Well, the, the first three seasons kind of all go together because they're all about that uh, that time at high school. Oh, she's still in high school? She's still in high school there. And then the last couple seasons, each one, you know, of course, the, you know, if each season has a big bad, but still the first three seasons still kind of work together. Whereas each season after that was a, a story unto itself that was almost self-contained except for little snippets that went backward or forward. Yeah. And and they carried characters in there. Um, I thought that the, uh, the sixth season, the fourth season, the sixth, sixth season had the best episodes of the series altogether, in my opinion, in Hush and um, Once More with Feeling. Now, Hush, of course, was the all-silent episode. Is the other one the singing episode? The other one's the singing episode. That's the, two I just I always, like, that's the two I always hear about. Yeah, and that's a masterpiece. And I've, I've got the soundtrack. I actually had recorded the, the, the songs from the show way back then. I was making CDs and giving them out to friends, and I remember being at an Akon and a bunch of teenage girls were there. And when I said that I had that, man, they wanted to buy them all from me. It was, oh, uh, yeah? It was pretty interesting. Yeah. It was, it you were selling am- selling things to teenage girls? No, I gave them out for free. I did not profit from that that, that uh, adventure. And I didn't profit in any other way from that adventure either. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I tell you, I, I'm going to go back to the book here. I really, really love the representation of the airplanes the World War II uh, planes that they had here with OMAC going, you know, up against those in that. That's, uh, that's my, uh, that's my, one of my notes that, that is, is great detail, very authentic. I love that, that overhead shot where you see the planes below him. Yeah. Or even the one on the other page where it's, he's taking kind of a, it's kind of zeroing in on him. Yeah. I, you, I, I could see this on a movie screen where the, the pilots are looking out of the cockpit and he sees OMAC just flying right at him. Because Omak had leaped off his other ship, and just coming at him, and, and you just know how bad that's going to be when he gets there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that this parallels the fight in the first issue where he's jumping from yes. the raider onto the their one of their flyers, and that is a great scene with the pilots looking through looking through the propeller, and Omak is just coming straight, and you can well, it's great because you see he hits and the propeller hits him and bends. Yeah. And then the scene above that, I love this detail that his because. The plane's going forward. His coat is flying up. Yep. Which would naturally do that. Yeah. And then, of course, he gets in there and one punch to the pilot, and it pretty much looks like his fist went through the guy's face. Yeah, probably. And then, of course, the plane crashes, goes down, and he's able to grab the machine gun off the plane before it goes down. <laughs> That's such a wild shot of him kind of uh, ass over elbow flying off the uh yeah. As the plane crashes, he's doing that kind of roll. Yeah, that almost looks like a, a, a Kubert kind of shot, you know? 
Yeah. That he would have done in Sergeant Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I, I the another one, this other shot of him getting blasted open on that's, the next page. That's another one of those I've got a complaint with. It just looks so wonky, and it's because of the it's because of the pants and because of the black that he's using. Yeah. Though I I do like the way he's got the right foot kind of thrown up. Um, you, you you see how the as he's getting shot, the right foot is angling up. Yeah. Because he's probably being forced back by the the yeah. force of the bullets ripping through him. What what I always think of when I see that is the first uh, Matrix movie, and when Neo shoots Agent Smith in the room there where Morpheus is with the you know he's got the the mini gun on the helicopter. Yeah, and he shoots Agent Smith. You watch the way he goes down; his his feet do the exact same thing, and uh, it's it's a very realistic thing to see on someone that's that's uh, getting shot up like that. So I thought that that was rather rather interesting, and you know the pilot's face right above it. He almost looks like a, a a skeleton in there, like like he's hasn't had enough to eat. There's there's something about him about the mouth, or, or or I don't know. Maybe it's just a the goggles give it more of a skeleton type look to it. But that's what it makes me think of. It's some good detail though. I like the yeah. expression of the guy's face. Yeah. Then he there's more rubble, which Byrne likes to draw rubble. Yes. Barney is everywhere. <laughs> and I, what I think is amazing, when he first goes, because this is just like Burn having fun. Yeah. It's, let's go kill Hitler, which is <laughs> a, a, become a trope of, of, of time travel movies, but Burn does it. He doesn't. It's not one of these, well, we want to go kill Hitler, but we can't because it's a fixed point in time, or if we do, something else bad is going to happen. No. We got to kill Hitler. He sends him over there, and he does it. I thought that was great. Yeah. I, I mean, I never saw Hitler's bunker, but was it really that nice, or was? It, oh, he's not even in the bunker at this point. No, no, this is, this is a, just the chateau. Which I, if you have you ever watched Band of Brothers? Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't this the same chateau they raided at that in their last yeah. or second to last episode? Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it right there. I mean, you yeah. can see the the building on the left side, which is where they were when, at one at one point. They're sitting there and. In, I guess they went in and raided the place and took a lot of artifacts and stuff that they could take. Right? Home. Wasn't that the Eagle's Nest? Is that right? I believe so. No, yeah. this is this is he calls here the mount, the mountain treat known as Bergoff. Bergoff, okay. Which is Berg is mountain in German, and um, so it's mountaintop. But maybe that's what maybe that was the Allies' name for it. Yeah, the Eagle's, Eagle's, I mean, Eagle's I, Nest. Yeah, I, that would make sense to me. But and, we could be wrong. You never yeah. know. And, and sure, I, whoever's listening to this is going to be you know. But that's. That's what I hear makes good podcasting. When you talk back to the show, I'm sure somebody's saying, no, no, that's not right, dummies. Please write us and correct us. That's right. right? Whether you do it to our email address, to uh, our iTunes uh, as, as a review, or even if you just write us a little note on Facebook. Yeah, just uh, go to our Facebook page. For the show that we publish, you go ahead and, and do it. I mean, you can email us at gottagetburned at uh, gmail.com. Is that, yeah, that's right. Gottagetburned yeah. at gmail.com. But uh, yeah, we'd, we'd really love to hear any any thoughts you have, especially if we've made a mistake here. Now, looking at the whole Hitler segment here before Omak breaks in, was he really that um, beefy? I don't I don't know. I mean, I, he was kind of a stocky guy, but yeah, he he certainly has drawn him as one. Burn draws him as a it's a very kind of lecherous Hitler. Yeah, and when he goes to kiss Eva Braum, it's creepy. That is just a creepy <laughs> creepy panel. Yeah. Well, the, the whole thing just kind of, I, I mean, this particular conversation, it, it seems like, you know, did they really wait this long to have this conversation together? 
I don't know. I don't know if that's that's Byrne kind of showing off the research he's done. Yeah. Or it just makes it just makes Hitler seem more crazy. Okay, I, I, I can buy that. It's just Ava asking him, you know, do we really have to wait till the end of the war to marry? And I'm like, yeah, I think they would have covered that ground long before. But you know, well, it seems to be with him, it's all about image. You know, he has to keep up a certain image. Yes. To the rest of the Nazi party. But you're right. That scene where he's kind of striding to see what's going on outside. He does have a bit of a paunch on him, doesn't he? He's got a bit of a, a belly. Yeah. And that, that panel just before it with his hand blocking her there. Yeah. It makes the biology look really funky. The way her armpit is and that part of her. And I won't say more yeah. than that. That, that, that does look a little. Yeah, it does look a little. Clumsy. Yeah. Now, you notice as he's walking uh, walking across the room with, with the paunch and everything, the picture that's on the wall he's behind got, him. He's got a picture of himself. Picture of himself. That's great. That says everything. Did that next shot at the bottom with the Jeep there, did that make you think of Action Comics number one at all? I'm thinking about it now. I didn't, and I guarantee that's what it is now that you've said that, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't make the connection. I was I was thinking more of how he says, oh, it's, he's being defeated by one man. Something that you would see in a movie, you know. It's oh, it's he's almost like a one man army corps. Yeah, but that's a great. I love this the German at this kid at the bottom. It's you know screaming that. But that's yeah, you're right. That's that definitely looks like action comics. Yeah. Well, the actions here uh, on this next part are really, really. I mean, very, very good action. You know, the Nazis sitting there shooting at him, him just basically tearing him apart, asking where's Hitler while he's breaking the guy's neck. Which that's, you're not gonna you're not gonna get an answer that way. <laughs> no, well, that seems to be his uh, mo was breaking necks. Yeah, except when he actually gets to Hitler. Right, and that's that's uh, uh, that he uses his, which makes you wonder if he would have done that if he hadn't been shot in the head. Would yeah. he have used the transformation just to? No, no, he wouldn't have. He, 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 he would have broke his neck. He would have done it done it a different way. Yeah, but the shooting of him in the head that reminds me also of that action comics. That went back to the bicentennial, where the the young Kal-El got shot in the head, but he actually died, whereas Omak uh, was still alive enough to get himself healed. Yeah, well, I mean, he's taken worse damage than this, and still been when he the first you know the first we first see him, he's almost basically blown in half. Yeah, and he's able to crawl, but then another creepy little creepy little Hitler. At the well, you can see you can see uh, as he's doing that. Excuse me. That uh, he, he, it's definitely a painful process for Omek as well. Yeah, Def- definitely a painful process for him because he's definitely hurting right there. What's well, probably close to Wolverine. That Wolverine yeah. can take a lot of damage, but he still feels all that pain. Yes, and I will say that the the burning of Hitler. I love this page. It's just you can almost feel the heat coming off this page. Yeah, and it's funny because the carpet around Hitler actually gets singed up. Yeah. But again, the carpet around Omak doesn't. And I, I will say it one last time. I hate those pants. <laughs> now, those the are... pose that Ava is there looks very similar to the Scarlet Witch's pose in our uh, first our first one, yeah. Episode, yeah. Well, and Hitler is more burned than the, than the, the Bigelow henchman that he burned in the beginning of this issue yeah. hitler is much more skeletal well he definitely you know he grabbed him by both hands he has him a little bit closer than he had the other guy because he had the other guy at arm's length so it makes sense that hitler would have gotten fried up a, a lot more yeah and also he had a lot more to burn than the other guy did <laughs> that's true 
Well, I think that's why, you know, if you're going to kill Hitler, you need to do it in a very dramatic way, not just snapping his neck. Yeah. And then Omak escapes. Um, it's, again, kind of boring as he's leaving and Brother Eye is basically giving him the whole story about, you know, the 10 years and whatnot. And then he's giving him the memories. You get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine shots of Omak sitting there with almost a Doc Samson look on his face. Uh, very little differentiation between one panel to the next. Again, you know, it's like he does the thing with the light and shadow. Yeah. He's, and then that's furrowing of the brow, but it's, it's not, not, not a whole lot of differentiation. Again, it, it, it is one of those things I could have done without. Well, the only thing I can think is, uh, as a choice, he's conveying some important information and he doesn't want to distract that with a lot of action. I mean, what action would there be? He's just riding in this plane on the way back to America. Yeah. And, and the thing is here is that, is that he's, he is showing small bits of what's supposed to be emotional angst. Right. In the in the panels and stuff, he realized the guy's gonna have him killed and all that. And but uh, this this also leads up to one of the the big discontinuities for me going between this issue and the next issue. But we'll talk about that when we get there. And yeah. so they've done their bit to to Molly and escorted her away from Mister Big, and that's the end. Now, did we need say what the title of this issue was? We did not. I don't know if you've mentioned the title. Uh, if you have in yours, I didn't. It's uh, book three is Mein Kampf. Yeah, I, I mentioned on the other ones. That's why I'd ask that because did we do that this time? Because I would remember. I thought I would remember that Mein was, Kampf. Uh, I'll take the blame for that. That was my fault. Uh, which could be, you know, Mein Kampf translates translates into My Struggle, uh, which of course is Hitler's book, and it's also could be Omak's struggle too. <laughs> yeah, he's well. In a way, he's got. 10 years of memory of a normal life that he's trying to uh, absorb. Assimil- yeah. Yeah, assimilate. So that it's suddenly, it's, it's that's that's kind of a sci-fi trope too of, of like a machine suddenly, and we'll see this actually later, the machine given memories that suddenly he he's struggling to be human. You know, he's got all this, and he, he, a life, you had to feel that, the 20 years up to in the first issue, the 20 years that he's fought Mr. Big, there wasn't a lot. It was, he was just all purposeful. He was driven. He was trying to kill Mr. Big. That was his only only goal. So he didn't have time to really have a lot of social interaction with other people. Right. So now suddenly he's got 10 years of a normal life flooding into his brain. Yeah, he's not going to get that like Neo gets Kung Fu. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think it just, it just, it's, it's part of his that dictates a lot of the actions he takes in the next issue and some of his decisions. But we'll cover that when we get to the next issue. All right. Uh, you want to take a quick break? Uh, we'll play a promo or two. We'll, well come back. I, and... I wanted to know if you, oh. if you had any other thoughts. Um, I don't. I thought it was a fun issue. I thought this one was, especially the Hitler stuff, it was kind of something that we didn't have in the, uh, we didn't have a lot of action in the uh, previous issue. It seemed like Byrne was just having fun with it. He wanted to, he wanted to do something nobody else has ever done and wanted to kill Hitler. And he wrote that into the story. And by God, he did it. So I thought that was um, uh, kind of an interesting, bold move. Yeah. You? You know, uh, to me, this episode, I mean, this issue, um, what, you know, as far as the action and all that goes, I really love I really loved the action when he had it. It, it had some moments where just you know, the pacing kind of drug a little bit. 
And, you know, I was just, you know, kind of okay, you know, and, and I pointed out those when we were sitting there uh, reading, you know, going through it. Um, so, I, you know, I'd, I'd say basically that uh, it, it was it was it was a going, but probably this is about the weakest of the uh, issues. I will I agree with that or not. I hmm. will and I won't. It's it's something I wanted, I think, from the first I missed the action in the from the first issue. So the second issue is a little more story heavy and character building, and to me that that drug a little bit there. So this is kind of the answer to that, and then the issue we're fixing to cover next will be the big wrap up issue where he really tries to tie tie all loose loose you know loose strands together and wrap it up and try to resolve it with a nice little bow on top. But uh, maybe I don't know if I agree with that or not. Okay. Well. I think if I was gonna, if I had a choice to reread either two or three, I might read two, three, one because I had more fun with the whole killing Hitler thing. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, there's that, <laughs> and that that is always fun. You know, the, the, saying that, you know, I, you know, I say it's probably the weakest of the four issues for me, and it's probably because it was the one that I, w- I was just like, well, come on, let's get to the next bit, you yeah. know, and, instead of sitting here staring at Omac's face. And I, I, I think that choice right there is what really got to me. Well, I will admit, I think the, probably the writing is weaker in issue three than two. Mm-hmm. And two is has a little more baggage to it because you have the, the dream sequences, the flipping back and forth between present day and future. And it's a little more confusing. This is kind of a straightforward story. Yeah. So maybe that's what I'm reacting to. Hmm. All right. Well, I mean, you got anything else? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, I guess we'll uh, take a little break, play a promo, and then come back with uh, book four. Okay. Grom, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, would remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo Akachin figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell. And I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out. It's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at 2TrueFreaks.com. Which is, of course, the home of the Two True Freaks Network. Duh. And we're back. And we're ready to start on book four here of OMAC titled The Man Who Made Tomorrow. Yep. And I had the synopsis. Thank you for for, uh, putting that story title in because I neglected to put that in my synopsis. No worries. (laughs) But as we said, this is OMAC book four, final issue. Uh, publisher is DC. The cover date is 1992. Uh, on sale date is December 17th, 1991. Cover price of $3.95. 48 wonderful pages. And again, the editor is Jonathan Peterson. 
Now, same month, Byrne put this out. He also wrote a short story in Dark Horse Presents number 57 called Nativity. And this is notable because this is the first appearance of his next men that he would uh, start up shortly after these issues were over. He also did Namor Submariner, number 23, as writer-artist. Sensational She-Hulk, number 36, as writer-artist. And again, Uncanny X-Men 285, he was a scripter. Alright, issue 4. Issue 4 opens with Omek, now with Buddy Blank's memories from the last 10 years, rushing home to find Molly. He bursts into the apartment only to find an empty room. He spots his, uh, his buddy Benny hiding under the bed and asks him what has happened to Molly. We cut to Molly, who is beaten and bloody, lies in a bed at Bigelow's penthouse. Still as captive, she hears sounds of fighting and gunfire outside the door. Omak, having taken out Bigelow's men, bursts through the door. Molly, thinking he is one of Bigelow's men, come, come to torture her more, resists Omak's attempts to com comfort her. She does not recognize him in his new form. Omak has Brother Eye to restore him to his standard form, and Molly witnesses uh, Buddy change and... Uh, the one but Molly witnessed Buddy change into the last issue. Omek takes Molly in his arms and rushes her to the hospital. As they as they leave the penthouse, we see the carnage of Bigelow's men in the next room, the result of Omek off-panel fight. On the way out, Omek rips a safe from the wall to grab some quick cash. Listening to the BBC announce the sudden death of Hitler, Bigelow curses Omek for running his plans to reshape the world in his image. Bigelow vows to kill Omak as he heads to his electronic factory. The next morning, Molly is visited by a doctor in the hospital. He informs her that one of her eyes is badly damaged, uh, too damaged to save, otherwise she should make a complete recovery. The doctor questions her about the mysterious man who brought her into the hospital, but Molly claims she has no such knowledge. After the doctor leaves, Omak enters in through the window. They embrace and Molly tells Omak that Bigelow told her about Omak and the future world they both come from. Omak claims Bigelow can no longer change the future, he, he has prevented it by killing Hitler. Molly asks Omak if, they can, if she can, he can change back to her husband, Buddy Blank. Omak instructs Brother Eye to transform him back. As the change is completed, Buddy collapses to the floor. He's still, he's still suffering from the stab wound from issue 2. Molly rushes to her husband's side and screams for a doctor. Something is blocking Buddy's link with Brother Eye. He's dying. Molly sees Bigelow standing in the doorway holding the jamming device he created at his electronic company. He is holding a gun and intends to finish what he started with a knife. As he watches Buddy bleed out on the floor, Molly picks up a chair and savagely beats Bigelow to death. Doctors rush in and take Buddy to the emergency room. Molly pleads for them to save her. Save him. We'll cut to Molly's funeral. It's 1991, 50 years later, and after a long and happy life, Molly has died of natural causes. Buddy is comforted by his family at the gravesite. We see a world very similar to the utopia the Global Peace Agency described to Omak in issue 1. Towers of glass and steel reach into the sky. Artificial people are the primary workforce. Buddy is one of the architects of this new world, but he feels mankind has grown soft and weak. The machines do all the work. Buddy goes home to be alone and is greeted by his housekeeper Josie, the young prostitute Omak encountered in issue 2. Buddy asks for some privacy as he goes into his study. He takes out the jamming device Bigelow created to block the link between Brother Eye. Buddy turns it off and is immediately transformed back into Omak. Omak tells Brother Eye he has never, he never deactivated the jamming device because he wanted to be human again to live a normal life. He also confesses to Brother Eye he feels killing Hitler was a mistake. He says humans need challenges to struggle. 
in order to keep to remain strong. Removing Hitler from the equation prevented World War II, but as a result, the human race has grown soft and weak. Omek explains to Brother I that he and Bigelow slash Mr. Big are caught in a temporal causality loop. They keep repeating the same action over and over. When the GPA agents sent Omek back in time, they created this loop. In issue one, Mr. Big asked Omek to kill him because he knew that they were caught in this loop and that death was the only release. Omek thinks he knows how to end the loop. He instructs Brother Eye to upload his entire, the entire contents of Omek's mind. Brother Eye obeys, and as a result, he is now a sentient Brother Eye. Brother Eye now links, now Brother Eye thinks and feels like Omek. Omek activates a jamming device, knowing the transformation back to Buddy Blank will be his last. He wants to be with Molly. He transforms and dies peacefully. Brother Eye, now alone in orbit, waits and watches. He watches as the world in below changes, is changed and corrupted by Bigelow. The same Bigelow that will eventually travel back in time to start the cycle all over again. Brother Eye waits. He waits until the world becomes so corrupt it needs Omak. He watches as a Brother Eye of this timeline is launched into orbit. He waits for Buddy Blank to be chosen by Dr. Myron Forrest. Blank is transformed into Omak and destroys the pseudo-people factory. In the weeks that follow, Omak fights villain after villain before succumbing to Dr. Scuba. But in this timeline, the sentient Brother Eye is able to escape Brother Eye is able to escape from Scuba's trap and save Omak because of his knowledge of the future. Brother Eye leads Omak to Mr. Big's time machine and he meets the GPA agents from this timeline. He explains to them they must create an Omak outside of this timeline in order to truly stop Mr. Big. Thus, creating the timeline we see in Issues 1. The agents step through the time door and are gone. Brother Eye tells Omek he knows a way he can travel back in time and be with Molly and live a normal life. He creates a device that, a device that will restore Buddy's memories after he arrives in the past. This will, this will break the link with Brother Eye and Buddy will live a normal life and Brother Eye will self-destruct after his mission is complete. The ending is bittersweet as Buddy steps into the time machine he, as he thinks, as he disappears, he feels Omak deserves a happy ending. The end. Now, did you read that um, dissertation that Byrne wrote at the end of the story? I did. Omak, read his, Einstein, his, and the warrior mentality. I did not read it. I did. Explains kind of his thoughts on why he did what he wanted to do to try to preserve his new timeline and Kirby's timeline. And that's some of the problems I have with this issue. Yeah. But, All right. Well, I guess let's go back and, you know, I, I had not noticed until this issue the uh, inset pages before the story starts. And this one has that, that what looks to be a New York skyline with a blimp. Yeah. Derek, I guess it's, it's the world of the future. But you've got that one very phallic building that <laughs> is, is scary. And then another one that. That looks like a, like it's got a, a very cold nipple, right there next to the helicopter. Uh, yeah, that's it, it. Is I never noticed that these are, they they're basically silhouettes of the world that's within the book. Yeah. Well, the first page you don't realize it because it uh, in the first book that is you don't realize it because it's, it's pieces of post-apocalyptic detritus, you know. Yeah. So you're not really going to tell it. The second one, yeah, they had something there, but it wasn't because of the color scheme on it wasn't as, as obvious as this right here with the orange and black. But going into the story, uh, you know, the very first page, he makes it a full page 
still got the wonky legs because of the costume. And he's got a huge smile on his face where at the end of the last book, he was very, very concerned. Well, I think this is the show he... He's reached his apartment. Now he knows now he knows what his apartment is. And I guess he expects Molly to be there. Yeah. But why he why is he picking up the chair on the next page? Why is oh, he's picking up off the floor, I guess. That just seems an yeah. odd pose. Like, why is what is he doing? He's straightening up? What's he doing? Yeah. <laughs> and look this is odd. I had to look at this twice. Same page, bottom panel left, where he's going into the bedroom and he says, Where? Look at the way Byrne has drawn this. You can barely see uh, Benny's foot sticking out. He has drawn the wall right as if it's transparent because you see right. the mirror, the pictures hanging. I thought that was really a really cool way instead of just not drawing that to show the inside of the room. I'm glad he only did it once, so because that could be distracting as it moves moves through the book. But the, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty interesting effect. Yeah, yeah. If that was everywhere, it'd be like, what what is going on? And once again. The character sees out of the corner of his eye, and I don't mean just the character in this book, but one of the things that Byrne does a lot of is where you have a character that's looking off panel towards the front, towards you, yeah, basically, but they're also got their eyes to the left or to the right, and they're looking at something that has to be behind them and can see it. Well, you would think that Omak being the highly killing machine, he would be aware of his environment. So he would either, you know, you almost get the feeling that Benny is maybe moving. Yeah. And he sensed it. Yeah. Yeah. He sensed his, why Benny's hiding out of the, the, those almost look like comic boxes, don't they? Look, when he pulls the bed up, it looks almost like a long box. Yeah, I know. I know. I was just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> those are all the Superman comics. Yeah, but it's not late enough yet. There wasn't any Superman comics at well, this point. He, he's anticipating. He's a man of the future. He's got two issues, but he's got a big box. He knows there's going to be lots of them. Yep. And again, they they definitely worked on this guy's eyes. Oh yeah, yeah. This is definitely, there's definitely, like I said, there's definitely result uh, consequences to. They don't just get a black eye. They are this guy is puffy, and he's bleeding, and his eyes are all puffed shut. Yeah. And, and again, he doesn't rec- recognize who Omac is. And yeah, Bigelow always did. But right. I guess Bigelow would know who Norm, who Buddy Blank was. Right. He would. I don't know how he. I don't know how you would know that, but he, yeah, he does seem to, they seem to be able to recognize each other. Okay. What do you think about these statues on this next page? Uh, well, it's, it, <laughs> it, it goes with all of, if you look at anywhere where Bigelow is, he is certainly obsessed with sex. He has got yeah. the naked form, which again, plays in with the, from issue one, where he's got these kind of sex surrogates where, that he lives vicariously through them. Yeah. And you know, he's got to be sitting there going, damn, 80 more years till Viagra. <laughs> I think uh, it's a nice touch that she's got blood on the pillow that, you know, that her face is probably still bleeding. Yeah. It's where she was laying. Yep. But her, man, her, her eye is really getting worse. Oh, yeah. It is really looking bad. And then where she recognized that Omac with the Mohawk was Buddy. She doesn't recognize that that this guy is the same guy, right? That he he does have the same face. You think that just his hairstyle would be different, but what would you call that, Clark Kent syndrome? It could be, it could be. <laughs> well, she's only look, she's only got one eye too, so maybe that's yeah. A, that's 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 another thing. One eye. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and so on the panel on the page just before he transforms back. 
down there in the bottom left corner, you know, his biology, it just looks all wonky. He does. His legs are a little, that's a little Todd McFarlane, uh, bendy Spider-Man leg going on. Yeah. There. Yeah. There's been a bit of that, but yeah, I think just doing all black is really throwing him off. I, he really wanted to do the zip, uh, duo shade stuff. Yeah. Wow. And, and I, then, of course, Omak transforms back. Into Kirby Omak. You notice his yeah. costume is from the Kirby run, not from this these issues. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting choice. Well, it's New York. It's probably cold. Yeah. <laughs> he pulls the safe out of the wall. Yeah, well, my, my I had to know is how does he know that safe is there? The figure it was behind the artwork, I, I guess. guess. I guess, you know. Now, it's interesting, uh, on the panel below, they show him carrying her through the streets, and you got two shops there. One's Peterson, and the other one's Carlin. Now, Peterson, of course, is the name of the editor on this book, John Peterson, I think. Yeah, prob- and, yeah. Then, yeah. and then I'm assuming that Carlin is Mike Carlin, who I believe was one of his editors on Superman. Yeah, because that sign says the great Carlin, the great Carlins. Yeah, yeah. so I'm sure that's that's who that's pointing out to. Yeah, nice little... Uh, oh, I'd love to have that car. Bigelow's car. Oh. Again, great a great design for... Very accurate for cars. It reminds me, if you've ever... Do you ever read any manga? Uh, and you know what manga is. You know, I'm, yeah, I know what manga is, but... I, I, I mean, I've got the, the Akira. I've got Ghost in the Shell, but I haven't really read manga proper. But that's a that's a style of theirs that they their machinery is unless it's like a futuristic if it's actual uh, a period car or vehicle yeah. it's usually very well rendered and very accurate. Yeah, it, it actually reminds me of some of the manga art that I see, you know, the black and white, I and mean, even some of what I've seen in some of the Godzilla books of late where they've done it in black and white. Right. And uh, it, of course, the car reminds me also a little bit of a Prowler, but a Prowler is supposed to be a throwback to these cars, so. I can see that. Yeah, I don't know what this is. Be a would it be a Dusendorf at this time? That was a big, expensive car back then. Uh, that'd be yeah, it's the German one, but I, I don't know. I, I I would have to look that up, but that's uh, I, I would say it's probably a good guess. Yeah. Next page, though. Um, Molly in the hospital. Doctor telling her she's you know lost one eye, but uh, that the baby she's holding is is okay. The sec- the third panel where you actually see her sitting up in bed and she's got a smile on her face and all the bandages on her. For some reason, that makes me think of uh, John Romita Jr.'s art in The Man Without Fear, the Daredevil story. I can see that. And the way he drew young Matt Murdock. I don't know why. It's just uh, the way he's sitting up, she's sitting up in bed. Yeah, it does look. She looks awfully happy there, too. I guess yeah. she's happy to be alive. And then the next scene where Omak is coming into the window. Now, that right there, if if you could see the ledge, I'd be thinking of I Love Lucy. <laughs> In the Superman you know episode? I'm, the Superman episode, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes you wonder if – where is he hiding? Is he just sitting on the ledge? I mean, he's not like he's exactly inconspicuous. He's with that – with that uh, mohawk and his, uh, as we know from looking at Kirby, it's a very colorful costume. Yes. But, but I don't know. I don't know. And then that transformation back to Buddy Blank, that uh, looked more painful than than normal. And that's my big question. Why does he have, why does he still have his wounds? It's almost as if he is shunted off somewhere 
and Omac, it's not an actual transformation, like, uh, well, an actual transformation, like, say, Banner into the Hulk. It's more... It's more like Mike Moran to Miracle Man. Did you uh, ever read those? I Miracle never Man? read Miracle Man. I was thinking more but, of um, Captain Marvel, uh, Captain Marvel, it, and uh, Billy Batson. Well, I'm thinking Rick Jones because oh, Rick, Rick jo- Jones okay, yeah, yeah. would hit the neg- the mega bands, right? He would they would change places. Yeah, but he was conscious the entire time. Now in in Miracle Man, whenever Mike Moran would say Kamota, he would become Miracle Man. The body of Mike Moran would go off into this off off dimensional place and stay as he is, you know, uh, in some kind of stasis. And you could see all the other, you know, ones that, that were imbued with the same power, whether it was Kid Miracle Man or Miracle Man Jr. or whatever, one of them having, you know, the way they died, you can tell. Yeah. Um, the, the, what that makes me think is that, you know, in this off-dimensional source, there's probably tons and tons of cloned bodies of OMAC. That whenever you know he needs the microsurgery, it just replaces the body. That could be it. With, with one that's in better shape because of what you see with Buddy here. I mean, that's that's the only if if that's actually what's happening. I mean, it seems like it's probably holding Buddy in some off-dimensional space. If that's because I don't see how brother, brother I would put him back down without healing him. I was assumed it was just he was reconfiguring his atomic structure. He was basically just rebuilding him. So if he gets rebuilt, why does he? I mean, I understand it has to take place for the story, but well, here's the, there's a problem with that on the scientific side. If you were to sit there and take a smaller being and create a larger being, like go from Buddy Blank to Omac, it wouldn't put off heat. It would actually suck the energy from the air. All right. Whereas if you had a larger being going to a smaller being, like Omac going to Buddy Blank, it'd probably put off a lot of heat. And a lot of energy. Because you're converting matter to energy. Yeah. Hey, actually, it's true. I guess if you went the other way, it would be probably cold. Right. Possibly. So so if, if he was turning into Omac from Buddy that, that, you know, and we saw him do that before and he fried the guy, uh, you know, that that if, if that was happening right there, then it would be sucking the energy from the air rather than uh, putting it off. So I think it's got to be some sort of dimensional transposition could be that it's, it's similar to the excuse or the 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 reason they used to use an ohatmu ohatmu refers to official handbook of the marvel universe it is an encyclopedic guide which details a fictional universe featured in the marvel comics publications for anybody time somebody transforms for banner to the hulk right they would always explain that he put on you know, he gained 800 pounds of mass from some extra dimensional, uh, which I've never liked that explanation for that. This is also a little bit like, uh, if Luke Giaconetti is listening to this, like Ultraman. Because when he, Ultraman, he has a capsule he holds and right. he becomes Ultraman, but I think they kind of change places, I think. Or even better, Quantum Leap, you know? Yeah. Sam jumps into somebody and they're back at his. Uh, facility, so right. So that was I understand why it has to happen to create the drama, but I just didn't. It's same reason, and I'll, I'll get off the subject in a minute. Yeah, when in X Men, the first X Men movie, when Wolverine 
escapes, you know, the way he escapes from the, within the Statue of Liberty is he basically pierces his own body and releases himself. Right. So when he is at top and he's with Rogue and he touches her and she negates his power, he's already healed up, right? Yeah, I, I she, never understood that. Right. She negates his power, suddenly his heals, his wounds appear. It's like, no, he's healed up. He, It's not... And I, again, I understand they did it, do it, that for it, the... It should just mean that if, if he gets hurt while she's got his powers, he wouldn't heal from that until his powers exactly. came back. Exactly. His, yeah. his, his wounds wouldn't suddenly reappear. But, but it's just to show the sacrifice and all. Right. I, under, I yeah. understand from a story point, it makes sense. But from a making sense point, it makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> True. Well, there's other things to sit there and think about in that, but we can get into that later. Yeah, that's 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 a whole podcast on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next page. Um, it, Molly dealing with uh, Buddy there before Bigelow comes in, and her freaking out and running to go see the doctor is, I don't know. It, she almost looks like a kid there. Yeah, Bigelow does look a little a little bigger and whiter well, than normal. No, not even there yet. Oh. But the, the 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 bottom frame of the previous page when she's sitting there looking at Buddy, and then she gets up to go for the doctor. Oh, she looks like yeah. a little kid. I see your point. Yeah, there is a little bit of a scale because they were always shown that that as Buddy Blank, he wasn't necessarily a big guy. He was right, a, right, know, like by my height, five eight, five five nine. Now that first panel there of the next page where Bigelow's in silhouette in the door. Does that make you think of Marv from Sin City? A little bit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very Miller-esque in the way he did that. I yeah. Think that, was, that was interesting. And see, Bigelow, of course, uh, he he made that, that, that villain mistake, too much exposition, mm-hmm. instead of just killing him. He should have, as soon as, as, soon as the door opens, pow, shoot her, yep. pow, lamb, shoot buddy. Lamb. Yeah. But no, he has to monologue, and then... <laughs> and then she, it's pretty brutal the way she kills him. At least the scene is. She's got blood splattered everywhere. Yeah, and it made me think of um, of uh, Ned Leeds killing that bad cop in uh, Frank Miller Daredevil, the Born Again series. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just a, a brutal, a brutal killing. You know, from a woman that's just had enough. Yeah, and she is. That's it. She's she's just driven to that point, and she sees her husband again. That him being wounded on the floor if say buddy wasn't wounded and bigelow comes in and is just hold you know holding his gun on him she might not have had that kind of reaction but she's desperate she knows buddy's bleeding out she's well and and, and the thing is she's got her own thing you know he yeah she's been her father yeah. she's not gonna let him take her husband too yeah that's it the murder for her mother father and the fact that he basically has had her for probably the last 24 hours torturing her and beating her so yeah she's pretty and it, the the jump, I thought, was an odd. When I, f- I remember first reading this, I thought, "Wow," because you expected to kind of just have find out what happens to Buddy, and it just jumps fifty years in the future, and she's dead. Yeah, and he's at and her grave. And then, yeah, well, they, they, they pull this, this the, I want to call it the prank with the blank. There, it it kind yeah. of makes me think of Superman Returns, where they show the Superman dies headline. Yeah. And then you know, right next to it's the Superman lives. lives. Yeah, it's that's the uh, just playing it safe. Yeah, which one? Well, yeah, I'm sure that happens. Anytime there's like a uh, an election or something, you're gonna you're gonna print. Same with, I mean, the, not to pull sports in this, but you know, if you've got the Super Bowl, you know, they printed 
you know, winter shirts for both teams. Oh yeah, I know. So somebody's gonna have to take up, and I'm sure it's based on percentages. They're gonna print, you know, whoever's favored to win. But but this is where it kind of all starts to become explanation. Yeah. And now the uh, the tombstones. You notice there's two two other tombstones you can read. Michael Hubler, and I guess that last one's David Graham. Yeah, I tried to re- research these. I couldn't find anything. Yeah, I need me either. Huh. But it's got to be maybe they're family friends, maybe they're people he doesn't like. <laughs> yeah. Be, you know, I don't know. Uh, and then there's Buddy's kids who appear to be all grown up. Looks like they're in their 50s. Yeah. And, yeah, she uh, was pregnant when uh, at the time that yeah. she killed Bigelow, so that would have been, I guess, Buddy Jr. Yeah, and, and you can tell he looks soft. Yeah. You know? Like like Buddy was complaining about. Well, that's, that's just, that's yeah. Which and I think then the, is, oh, go ahead. It was supposed to be 1991, so the story is actually caught up to the modern day which he was living in. But you look at the vehicles and everything there, and yeah, it's definitely futuristic. Yeah, it looks a lot like, have you ever seen a film called The Shape of Things to Come? Based on uh, a, yeah, yeah, I've, got, I've actually got it on, on yeah. DVD here somewhere. And uh, yeah, that's I was thinking of that, or World of Tomorrow kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's and, that, that kind of retro... Yeah, 1930s future. Yeah, Sky Captain and exactly. Yeah, yeah, the example. Johnny, the Johnny Cab. Yeah, type that's driver. what I was thinking. It's, it is Johnny Cab. <laughs> <laughs> and the the thing is, is that you know he gives you glimpses of it, but he doesn't give you a whole shot of the future world really. Mm. Like he's trying to to not show you too much. Well, it's it. In hindsight, it turns out to be not that important. It's it's more. The fact that this has come to pass, and he but, was one of its architects, and now he realizes this was. Yeah, but you see the 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 shot where they show the helicopter. You see the street layers. There's multiple street layers. Yeah. There's also uh, people walkways and and stuff like that in a very either Jetsons or, or um, Superman animated series way they represented Metropolis. That's another, yeah. That's another good point. Yeah, it is again. It's that old. It's old old future. It's yeah, and I. I was a little until I read more, but I, uh, my first reaction to this was, why did he create this world when he knew the way that his wife reacted to it when she heard it from Bigelow? But he explains he, because he, as Omak, lived in such a devastated uh, dystopian future, he thought, well, there's, you know, yeah, she says it sounds sterile and unfeeling, but... It has to be. She can't, she's got to be wrong. So that that explains why he went ahead and created the pseudo people and created that basically created the world he has now. Yeah, which he later finds out is was it was a mistake. But it's that that loop. It's that uh, as I put it, it's that uh, and I stole that right out of Star Trek. It's a temporal causality loop from yes. uh, um, cause and effect. It's that it's, um, the episode with Kelsey Frasier. Grammer. Yeah. Yeah. Where Captain. they just do the same thing over and over and over because they they can't help it. Yeah, I like that episode. Well, that that yeah, the reuse of the Reliant as the yes. Bozeman, I believe. The Bozeman, yeah. Um, I've actually I've got a, a little Reliant here, a micro machine sitting above my desk, and then I've oh. got a a, a pewter one also. Oh, nice. That, uh, yeah, unfortunately, one of my stepchildren, um was playing with it and ripped off one of the nacelles. Ugh. So it actually looks more like it did in the movie. 
Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's your, there's there you your, uh, there's your, uh, it's, it's, it's post battle. Yes. I have a lot of the micro machines when they were coming out with the Star Trek. I have most, I guess, most of the micro machines, uh, of the Star Trek, uh, era. I don't, they're all still, I'm, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to find a picture and I'm going to have to go back to some of my friends. When, uh, one of my friends, had a birthday years ago. Uh, we did a surprise party for him, and I had bought a cake for him. And uh, his favorite candy was Red Hots. Ooh. Are you familiar with them? Oh yes. Okay. And so what I did was I I had the uh, the Enterprise on there, and I used Red Hots as photon torpedoes shooting at a Romulan warbird. That's cool. Yeah, and that that cake actually worked out pretty good. Now, if I have to bake a cake, no, it's gonna taste like mealworm or something. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I, I guess we could get back to the book. <laughs> yeah. red, red, well, Red Hots and my other favorite used to be uh, Hot Tamales. Hot Tamales, Hot yeah. Tamales. They were maybe the same people that make Mike and Ike's. Yep, and yeah. um, ju- Juicy Fruit and Juicy, yeah, good, ju- good ju- and Plenty. Ju- 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 beads or Juju ju- beads or whatever. No, no, no. Oh. Juicy, juicy Fruit and Good and Plenty. Oh, okay. Oh, no, Good and Plenty, Good and Fruity. I don't know what good I'm getting. Fruit, yeah, good and yeah. Juicy Fruit's uh, gum. Yeah, that's right. Yep. No, you know, the the last part where he just spends all that time after he transforms back to Omac, he spends all that time talking to Brother I about the events and everything. It's again almost too much exposition. It's this issue is very heavy and Byrne has to kind of explain the past three issues where he's given us hints and where, where he's setting up that it's going to go next. And, and, you know, and before that, I just want to touch on, you see Josie again from issue yeah. three. Well, the, 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 my point though here in this is, uh, is that even though he's doing the exposition, he's doing the exposition within the artwork and he's giving enough differentiation on the artwork that you're not completely bored like I was in the previous issue where he's just showing Omak's face over and over and over as a floating head. Right. He's almost showing little uh, uh, snippets of the world, snippets right. of the... Like the, flashbacks. Yeah. Flashbacks yeah. Or, or, or it's like almost like a montage. Right. Of um, One thing I'll say about Josie, and I don't, it's just, I don't know why they, he included her, but just to show that, you know, he, obviously he went back as Buddy Blank when, when we find out what happens later. He went back and offered her a job and kind of brought her out of that poverty. I didn't understand the, when he asked her, well, I offered you, you know, I offered to send you to school and you could have got an education. And her attitude was, why? Uh, why, why do I need to go get educated and get a job? Because you've created these pseudo people and they're doing all the work to me. Maybe that's Burns making a statement, but of, that the, the end all of, of an education is not just to get a job. You know, to me, an education is to better yourself. What this says to me is that if we ever invent the um, holodeck like they have on Star Trek The Next Generation, mm-hmm. society will come to an end. Well, it'll be... Because uh, people are going to yeah. spend all their time in their fantasies. Yeah. Living, living what they want to live rather than the life that they do live. You give someone a comfortable enough life, they will not strive for greater things. I mean, there are going to be people that that feel that need to strive, 
but the general masses, no, you give them the life that they want and they'll, they'll be complacent to live within the, the framework of that life. Yeah, it's the opposite of uh, the Star Trek attitude that, sure, in Picard's time, they've got life pretty good, you know, but they're, instead of, and how does he put it, instead of collecting material wealth, they're, they want to better themselves. That's their goal. They want, you know, they want to make themselves a better person instead of being caught up in money. I guess that goes along with nobody uses, again, somebody needs to explain that to me. How in Star yeah, Trek they, they don't use they, money, but they still buy stuff, right? So, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Do you think I'm uh, moving ahead that Doctor Forrest looks like a heavyset Paul Newman? Uh, let me jump to where that is. Oh, when they show the maybe. face shot there, um, oh, he's way up in at the top. They show something being blown. Up. Yeah, but brother eye blowing up the other brother eye. Yeah. And yeah, I can see Dr. that. Forrest he does. Sitting. Yeah, yeah he, like he looks. A, yeah, he's and he's yeah. Heavy set Paul Newman. Heavy set. Yeah, he does. He looks like uh, and, like the, his Paul Newman that you would see on his salad dressing. Yeah, and, and on the next page you see Buddy in the uh, Star Trek shirt. Yeah, and well, speaking of that, because I made a note of that in the future world, you notice the pants. That uh, Buddy yeah. Blank has got. So those yeah. are next. Those are the motion picture pants. Oh, really? He's got, yeah. They look like he's got. They're almost like they have a, a little strap that goes underneath. Same one that's on the cover. If you look at the cover, the cover pants look very much like the pajamas from the motion picture. Yes. Yeah, even down to the things on the that, that go under the the stirrups. Right. So I'm saying yeah. It's just, that's why I, my note was nice. Nice Star Trek pants. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, he does. It's definitely uh, Buddy is definitely it's a very Star Trek like. Well, it's the same outfit. Yeah, and when he and gets, then that, oh. that Lila character, she definitely, you know, that that's that's the one character that has the Jack Kirby sheen on her. Mm-hmm. Wherever wherever you see her. Yeah, she's definitely got Jack Kirby hair. Yes. And the, and then we we kind of come into the you know where you think you're going back into when when he's saying goodbye to her and these two guys are coming behind her, and he runs down the the next level to see where she's disappeared to. That's just like the dream sequence from issue two, but right. then it's really taken right out of issue one of Kirby's run, right. where they grab him and he sees uh, Lila being taken apart and inside his box. The guy grabs him, he gets transformed into Omac for the first time. That is. Almost panel for panel, right out of Kirby's run. Yeah, and you look down at the the bottom panel on the next page where he's fighting a clown, a Roman centurion, uh, the killer from Scream, uh, <laughs> and and it looks like one of the guys from Heavy Metal. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I haven't read all the issues, the Kirby, but that's uh, and also the page before that. I have to go back and look, but when he's transforming at the very yeah. bottom corner, that's just full of Kirby Crackle, yes. which I don't think Byrne used when he was transforming in the previous issue. In the pre- yeah, previously, he was, did he? he was sparing with the Kirby Crackle up to this point. Yeah, and that—that's maybe just because he's doing an homage to Kirby. Yeah, who you know oh, was man. all about the Kirby Crackle. Yeah, but once you get past that, and you get past that page we were just talking about, you see the. Uh, the guys, they almost look like some of Darkseid's guys from Apocalypse, you know? Mm-hmm. 
and uh, that one gigantic head in the ground, Dr. Scuba. Yeah. The ocean steel. That is just downright creepy. The big eyes that just make you say they need Visine. He, he looks like a mask that a Scooby-Doo villain would wear right before he yeah. gets pulled off at the end <laughs> to reveal yeah. that he's old man withers. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, this basically kind of recaps the eight issues of Kirby's run. In these two yes. pages, it kind of tells the whole the whole story in the little – until we get to – because that's how Kirby's issue ends. Spoilers if you're going to read the Kirby uh, issue. It ends on a cliffhanger with Brother Eye being encased in slag and Buddy Blank having transferred – or Omac being transferred back to Buddy Blank. So you don't know if he's going to – and that's when the issue the, – the book is canceled. So that's why Byrne is trying to tie up those loose ends. My problem with this is – and maybe I'm reading this wrong. Brother Eye escapes from this, the trap from from uh, where he's encased with slag by Scuba because he knows that this trap's going to exist. He's prepared for it. Yeah. But how does he know this? Because this, he has never, somebody put this in my, get in my brain straight. He has not experienced this in his timeline. Yes, he has. So we yes, assume that Omek fought all these characters in the original timeline from the first issue, right? From the from the Kirby stories, you know, through Omek fought all those. Then, I mean, and you can say it probably may have gone a little different, but these events still happened. And then Omek goes back in time to the twenties. Brother Eye catches up to him. Brother Eye then you know lets him go about his business. Brother Eye sits there and waits, destroys the, the, the original Brother Eye that's being created, and somehow doesn't create a paradox. Well, that's I guess because that's an alternate future. Well, see, I assume that the, history. the OMAC we see in issue one, the original one, because he looked different than Kirby's OMAC, that was Burns' timeline. You're, you're, you're cutting out there. You want to say that again? Oh. I said I thought that the, the OMAC we meet in issue one, because mm-hmm. he looks different than Kirby's Omac, that was Burns Omac, that was his, that was his telling of the Omac story, and it's not until he goes back in time and now catches up that it becomes the Kirby timeline. So that's why I thought, well, if that's the case, then Brother I did not go through those events, didn't meet all these other villains, and he would know that, but. That may, that's the confusing part of this that maybe I'm I maybe I'm getting it wrong. No, it, it is confusing. It is very confusing. And when you're dealing with time travel, it is going to be confusing. Right. And Omek himself says the reason why he knew knew of it was because he had two he had dreams of two different futures. So if right. how if he hadn't been in both of them, how could they exist? Because don't you assume that when he's when he when Brother I leads him to the time machine earlier than he did normally did because the the GPA agents don't expect to find him here, and he tells them the story, and he tells them, "Well, you need to because when they step through the portal, I assume that was the burn timeline from the right. issue one, and that they needed to create an OMAC in that world, and he would." But wouldn't that just start the process all over again? Because if they're in that world that's just changed, because Bigelow went back in time, then wouldn't that Omac have to go back in time and just kind of repeat the same? It seems to me that the loop would just reset itself. It, it's not ending. 
Either that or what he's saying is that each loop creates its own new reality. That's possible. Yeah. So that when he, so that his, so that his loop is ending, but the next OMAC is good. Oh, that's a very good, actually, that's pretty heavy. His loop is ending and he has a happy ending, but the next OMAC is going to do the same thing and he is going to end his loop, but create another OMAC. It's going to be perpetual. So each OMAC is going to have a happy ending, but it's always going to create another OMAC. It's going to go to the same thing. And as far as the dreams are concerned, dreams can see multiple. Yeah. I, I would assume that dreams can see all of those realities because while for us or for the character experiencing it, they're, you know, they're happening over a certain timeline in reality or non-reality in this case. Yeah. It's all happening at once. Right. Well, it's, it's, it kind of reminds me that they explained why Buddy Blank was a perfect candidate for OMAC was because he was the grandson or he was a descendant of OMAC, which that makes right. sense genetically, which yes, similar to, and spoilers for anybody who hasn't read Red Sun, the Superman story, at the end of that, where it's progressed into the future where, uh, let's see if I get this right, it's Lex Luthor's descendants have become Superman's parents, correct? So he sends his own parents back. With, it's not Krypton, it's Earth that he sends him back in time. Have you read Red Sun? No, I have not. No, oh, not. sorry. No, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I really haven't, haven't ruined anything for me there. No, no. But it's, um, it's, a, it's a interesting. I think Red Sun's pretty good. I mean, from it's Mark Millar, but it's a, it's a pretty decent story. Okay. Um, well, now let's, uh, I guess, wrap this one up. Uh, from what I can see... You know, we pretty much covered everything here except, of course, the very end with Buddy himself going into the time machine happily. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. How do you how do you feel about the ending? Do you think it's it's I think that you have to read it several times to get the whole gist. Oh, yeah. And um, even then, it's still. Uh, and I, I'll tell you now. Now, I, I didn't think about this in retrospect, you know, originally, but looking at the front cover of the book, do you know what I think of? Mm. The first ten minutes of the movie up. Oh, yeah, that's I. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That is, which is odd because you never see her in this version at all. Right, but you know that's how she was, and that they lived a, a long and happy life. Yeah, at least you hope it's long and happy. You got to sit there and think the way Omac got disappointed in the world that uh, that was the only light in his life was that. Because it sounded like he was disappointed in his children. Yeah, his children seem to be a little. Uh, well, I think that's maybe that's representative of the entire society as a whole. They're they're kind of self centered. Uh, they don't want to do anything. They don't want any challenges. They don't. They just. They don't want to. They don't even want to have an argument. He doesn't want to even have any conflict with his father. So, and they it just sounds like today's it. generation. Yeah, uh, <laughs> of kids. That is, I should say, millennials. Uh, hmm. All right. Well, any final thoughts? Uh, no. I thought. Uh, again, I thought it's it's kind of a bittersweet ending. When I originally read this, I was I read it once and then I bagged it, and I was a little, I think, disappointed because it does it does require multiple readings to really get yeah. the full the full flavor of the story. And I'm a little bit more respectful for it now because I see that he did. Though it is confusing, I realized that to do what he wanted to do, it's a hard story to write. And I think he did the best he could. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily a story I would – it's not a burn story I might revisit 
I don't feel the need to re reread it the way I, I do, say his X Men stuff or his Fantastic Four stories or his Superman stories. I'm happy I read it. I enjoyed it, but I wouldn't necessarily bring it up. You know, when it's not something I would read, say every couple years. I don't. And think. then, and that's a shame because it it is some very beautiful artwork. It is, especially in black and white. If you haven't experienced it in black and white, it is. Uh, it's a beautiful book to look at. Yeah, and as I understand it, there will not be a color version of this at least not anytime soon probably you know sadly after burn dies they'll start printing out everything and they'll probably do a color edition of that then you know but uh yeah that's um that's one of the sad truths there well you think they would have when they launched new 52 wasn't there a new omac book there is a new omac book and as i understand it uh batman is partly responsible for the birth of omac Right, or he's he's got a hand in it at, at at this point, but I'm not reading any of that myself. But he looked like didn't he look like the Kirby Omac with the mohawk, mohawk, and wasn't it? Or maybe I'm mistaken. You think that'd been a perfect time to dig this out and throw out a? Maybe it's just too hard. Now that they have the photostats. Maybe it's just too hard to go back and colorize it. Maybe I would think Byrne wouldn't have any control over that. I don't think he could stop him. From doing well, the color, well, he he wouldn't be able to stop them from doing that. But that's not the that's not the issue there. I mean, the issue there is that if they did do that, they'd have to pay him again. It's true. He'd they'd have to pay him residuals for that. Yeah. And I kind of get the feeling that they don't want to. Well, they don't want those either. Marvel or DC don't want to pay anything they don't have to pay. And right. I I would say maybe it's because Burn seems to have. Burned some time. bridges. Burned his bridges. Burned some bridges, but uh, or they burned the bridges with him. I mean, it's it. You know, the 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 road goes both ways. I think it depends who you talk to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, yeah, you got me curious here on uh, on the the Batman version. I wonder if there's any any pictures of. Uh, there's Remac. I see a picture of. Oh, that's from Batman and the Outsiders. Now there is. Uh, I I try to find it, but I know there is a. The cartoon Batman the Outsiders? Or is it Brave yeah. and the Bold? Brave and the Bold. Um, oh, no, this is Batman the Outsiders. Uh, looks like comic. Hmm. And the OMAC aptly named Remac appears to be an iPod with its track list wiped. Okay. Oh. That doesn't well, sound. I know <laughs> in Kingdom Come, Wade created a OWAC, a one-woman ar- one Army Corps. Yeah. <laughs> but I know the the Batman Brave and the Bold, the cartoon, which is yeah. basically Marvel team up. There is a episode with Omac. It's not streaming, so I couldn't I couldn't watch it. But same as there's one I've seen the one with Commandy. You know I um I have not really watched uh, any of the Brave and the Bold. My son loves them. I haven't. I've but watched that one. They're, they're that silly silly Silver Age stuff that just. You know, didn't didn't do it for me. But as I've you know read a lot of stuff and I've listened to um, what's what's the guy's name that does, does the voice of Batman for that? Um, he's the next door neighbor in Office Space. Oh, uh, Dietrich uh, Bader. Yeah, Dietrich Bader. Yeah, and uh, on the on Fat Man on Batman, they had uh, an episode with him on there, and they were talking about the final episode and all that, and. So I ended up watching the final episode of Christopher, and I thought that was really, really cool. 
But, you know, it's definitely a, a, a cartoon more for kids than it was for someone like me. Uh, at least, you know, in the way that I hold, hold my he- superheroes and all that. Cause yeah. you know, I, I want to, I, I like the way that they were doing them in like justice league unlimited. I liked what they were doing in young justice and I felt it was a crime that they, uh, canceled that. And I was still waiting for a standard animation version of teen Titans, the Judas contract, because I can't watch teen Titans go. I don't know. I've, I've heard, um, young justice is supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, Young Justice is really good. It's really good. I I would recommend it to you wholeheartedly. I'm surprised they haven't adapted the Judas Contract as their direct-to-video. They're past it. Are they? I mean, this is if if you've watched the 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 movement of the the animated movies, you know they were sitting there and they were doing stuff from storylines from the 80s, and. Yeah. Then they, they got into, you know, they did the Dark Knight Returns, and I was just, like, blown away that they did that. And then they did the they did some more recent Superman ones, you know, the the Brainiac one, the, the uh, Elite. Yeah, which I've is, seen, which I've is seen both of those. Now, did you ever read that Action Comics, you know, what's so funny about Truth, Justice, and the American Way? I've never, I never read it. I, I did like Elite, the movie, only, only because I like, Again, spoilers for the elite if you haven't seen it. Uh, uh, the ending where you kind of see a Superman unleashed and yeah. see just how powerful he can be. And that's what they did in the comic book. And it, it, it even seemed more vicious in the comic book. Uh, I, I don't think it's a great representation of Superman. I, I mean, I understand the, to- the story they're trying to tell. But in the process of telling the story, they took Superman too far into a place you really don't want him to go. Well, that's what I say. You see almost the dark side of uh, Superman. Yeah, and then you had Lois basically sounding like Adrian in the whole you can't win argument. <laughs> you know, it just, oh, my gosh. And when I say Adrian, I mean Adrian from Rocky. Uh, <laughs> <or> Rocky <laughs> Four, Rocky Four in that particular uh, iteration. You can't win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, the then they've done Flashpoint and the Throne of Atlantis, and now they've done... What, what the the son of Batman? They're moving forward to the later storylines, right? They're doing. And I, they're I, not looking back. Well, maybe that maybe that'll change once Convergence is over or whatever the they are rebooting or not rebooting. I don't know what. I'm sure somebody smarter than me knows what's going on there. Or DC. I don't read any. Last thing I read at DC was the John the John Romita Jr. Superman. And uh, that, that, yeah, that wore off pretty quick. I, yeah, I, I got bored with that and, and stopped. I mean, it just didn't seem right to me. So I stopped reading it. Uh, um, Andy, Andy and, Layden, Andy and Michael Leyland do a great, uh, issue or a show on that. Yeah. Or I, hey I, Kids I Comics. That. Yeah, they do. That's a, that's a good show. I recommend that to anybody who's interested in that. Well, do you have any th- final thoughts on, uh, Oh, no, no. And you know, we really have not nailed down what our next show is. No, but that's that's the, the wonder for this show. It can be anything. Well, along this John Byrne related. Well, what do you guys want? Is is there a particular run that that I mean is is definitive in in one thing or another? Now, one one of the things we're talking about doing since Superman v Batman or Batman v Superman or whatever it's titled is coming is that we might take a look at all the times that Byrne has had Batman and Superman come together. 
uh, in, in the book. So we may just like sit there and touch on all those in one episode. And, and that, right. And that could be a loose, maybe not a, a real in-depth coverage of the issues like we've done now, but more of a general. Yeah. Because discussion. like in, in, in the thing is, is like, you know, in, in man of steel issue three, I think it is that whole issue is, is dedicated to the, to that relationship. But in the adventures of Superman issue and uh, some of the other stuff, you know, Batman's only in there for two pages or four frames or, or whatever. So we wouldn't need to necessarily cover the entire book True. so much as just those, those uh, particular moments. And there's a lot where he did just the writing and not necessarily the art. And I think we'd only want to cover the early stuff. And I'm not talking about the later stuff when Gail Simone was writing Justice League or anything like that. Though we might cover that in a later time. But that's that's something that we're talking about doing. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it's all it's all in the air. So we don't know. It's, but that's that's what's great about podcasts. You can kind of do whatever uh, back to the bench. You can do whatever whatever you want to do. Yeah. But uh, it's it's Brian's pick. So we're gonna. Yeah, you know, that's true. That's true. Put all the pressure um, on him for next issue, next episode. Oh wait a minute! I thought I picked Omac. I picked Omac. You picked Omac. Okay. I picked Omac. You picked Avengers before that. That's right. That's so, right. Okay. So yeah. Well, uh, I know we talked about doing some email, but we're running kind of late. Do you want to maybe hold off on that email till? Yeah, next I issue, think because well, it's episode? a really really long one. Uh, Kurt Groenveld, uh, sorry, we will get to your uh, next letter here uh, on our next show. And uh, I guess we'll say goodnight at this point because it is pretty late for me. Right, and we've yeah we've this is we've we've gotten pretty good in depth on this, so I think I think we can we can call this a night, and we'll pick up uh, emails next next episode. So just don't forget to send in those emails, write up those iTunes reviews, and be sure to listen to all the other great shows that are on the Two True Freaks Network. That's right. They've got so many shows that there's something beyond there that you're going to like. And, and also be sure to, to visit From Crisis to Crisis, Michael Bailey's podcast, uh, you know, basically covering the, the burn era of Superman. And uh, you got anybody else you want to plug? Mark Smith versus Atlantis Attacks. I haven't listened to the, his show that I have. I, I want to kind of plug Dave Elliott's show again, Fantastic Forecast. He was on our Fantastic Four uh before it's out show. Uh, he does a great little 10, 15 minute show covering each issue of the Fantastic Four. Um, other than that, I'm mostly listening to two true freak shows. So just listen to all of them. They're all yes. great. I, I just listened to the latest dinner for geeks back to the Ben's crossover. And that's a, that's a great mm-hmm. episode. And today I, I listened to uh, Hey kids comics and garage sale gloat, which my, my uh, life, I, my wife likes garage sale gloat. I love it. Yeah. There's something about that that just, I don't know if it's just the sounds of the car, but it's a, a, a comfortable feeling when I listen to that. It is. And that's what was, we talked about that a lot when we met Chris in New York. He was telling us all about doing it and stuff he would find. And we we tried to record one. I've got it, but it's not really worth sending to him. We did a, we went down to Canton uh, back during the 4th on their weekend. And that's anybody who's, you know what first Monday, right? Canton? Yes. Okay. Yes. So anybody who doesn't know who is not from Texas, that's the supposedly the world's largest flea market. And it's in Canton, Texas, about an hour and a half from, from us. So we went down there and just recorded some of the stuff while we were walking around, but it wasn't it wasn't up to Chris's uh standard, so we thought about sending it to him just because 
it had, you know, my wife threw on it, but um, we decided not to. It wasn't there. Maybe next time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you got anything else? Uh, no, that's it. I think uh, I will say uh, good night. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs> Bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. We've secretly replaced the uh, the lithium crystals on the Enterprise warp core with Folgers crystals. Let's see if Geordie LaForge notices. <laughs>